Good morning, everybody. Uh, you're tuning in to Archery Unfiltered. Um, this is episode three, and uh, this is going to be the stabilizer episode. This is going to be one where I wax poetically about stabilizers and how to set them up for, uh, just judging from my notes, possibly 40 minutes is what I'm guessing. Um First, I want to just dive in real quick to some corrections uh, for the second podcast. It seems like every single podcast I do, I'm going to have to go back and correct all the mistakes from the one before. Luckily for this one, there's only two. Um, in the last podcast, I stated that a Chris Gonzalez won state field last year and it was actually a gentleman named Christopher Garcia who won state field the CBH state field he took it with a, a field score of 549 and a hunter score of 543 so uh congrats Mr. Christopher Garcia I'm sorry I butchered your name it's not that I can't say these names very well it's just that my memory and my short term uh my short term memory have been corroded away really bad so uh It looks like if Mr. Garcia has been practicing, it will be a battle. Uh, If he, you know, he has to be shooting up and I'm guessing 550s are going to be shot this year at State Field. But I'm just speculating. Um, The other correction I needed to make was that I said scoring for a field round was 54321. And a bunch of people hit me up to let me know that it was actually 543 and how stoned was I when I filmed that episode or when I taped that episode and I actually wasn't stoned at all. I just, for some reason, I remember shooting club shoots with 543-2-1 and I just thought no one ever scored twos and ones. I thought it was just like, oh, well, you know, you hit the bail, that's one. And I just, you know, never got around to shooting with anyone like that. I thought it was like a recurve thing. The two and one was like, you know, those are for the recurve shooters. Um, so in this episode, I had some friends ask for, uh, you know, for me to express what I thought about or what I knew about stabilizers. And most people, well, I don't know about most people, but basically everyone, if you go to any other shooter and ask them what's the most important aspect of your bow tuning you're going to get different answers on all of it. I would I would argue most people are going to say your arrow build. Oh, let me take this sweater off. I got two sweaters on. It's freezing and now it's too hot. Anyway, I, most people say arrow build. Some people say, you know, your peep and lens configuration. I would say it's your stabilizers. Above all, it's above stabilizers. It's not even close. And the reason for that is that stabilizers are kind of like that human to bow interface i feel like it's the the surfboard wax between your you know you and your board kind of um you know i used to think surfboard wax was to make your board go faster on the water (laughs) i lived in a beach town too anyway before i dive into all that i want to talk about some upcoming events uh the I'm trying not to say uh all the time here, but it is the fifteenth of May, and the nearest upcoming event is going to be the SoCal Showdown at the Easton Center in Chula Vista. It's June fourth to June sixth. 
I have two friends that are going to be shooting that. I wish them good luck. I was going to do a podcast about shooting uh, a feeder, compound feeder round, but I don't know how many people are too into hearing about that right now. I feel like everyone is, you know, getting really ruffled for either field or one or two more safari events, some novelty events. So that's what I'm going to try to focus on for, you know, for the time being. Uh, maybe in like a month or two, I'll get into compound feed arounds, unless there's a loud, you know, enough people say anything that they want to hear it now. I'll do one now. Um, the other thing, oh, let's see, Nevada County Sportsman's uh, Club June shoot is June 5th and June 6th. That's going to be a safari style event. That's going to be really good. Um, you can check out my very first podcast about writing for tips on how to do the, the, the June shoot. Um, the June shoot, the last I remember, the June shoot only has a couple tough targets. I think there's a 70 or 77 yard uphill shot that always used to make me pucker. And, uh, the hundred yarder, I think they have like an 80 yard bear. I think it was like a polar bear or something, if I remember correctly. Um, those ones. And then the shoot off where they have you stand in like the skeet shooting arena, the shoot-offs at the June shoot are some of the best because there's a big crowd. It's like it's made so that people can kind of surround you and watch you shoot off. There's wind on the shoot-off uh, generally on the shoot-off target. So you wait for the wind or you just watch where other people are hitting. There's also a big water tank there that I like to throw rocks at. I think everyone does. It makes a weird like twing. It makes like a laser sound. It's kind of cool. Um... So that was June 5th and June 6th. June shoot, you can only shoot one day. Don't bog them down. Tell me what, don't be like, oh, I want to shoot both. Because they're not going to have it. Well, maybe they will, I don't know. Uh, next would be the CBH State Field Championship in Reading, June 12th and June 13th. Lots of fun. I mean, lots of fun. If you are a diehard competitor, but kind of like a small fish still, if you're just into and enjoying tournaments i highly recommend this one for that business aspect that feel of like wanting to compete at that like hardcore like oh i'll sleep in my car if i have to uh i don't know if they'll let you but they let me <laughs> a long time ago um after that is the cougar mountain archers 31st annual 3d shoot on june 20th i believe i shot that event when it was the State 3D, the CBH, uh, SAA State 3D event, I could be wrong, and it could be a whole different event that they hold, but I remember that place. Very fun course to shoot. Pretty flat, uh, a couple mild up and down hills. Uh, they're, I think the steep up and down hills are relatively close, but that was a lot of fun. I think I shot a 920 to win the the, the first State 3d uh shoot there it'd be cool to see uh the next one uh let's see santa cruz archers mtba regional field round is june 20th the same day so you can kind of pick one or the other or neither but you should probably do one uh the mtba regionals is something i've always wanted to shoot it's always eluded me because at the time the what was it called ncfa i can't even remember now but there was kind of like another regional tournament uh governing body or what have you that uh 
held like a series. I think it was like three or four, uh, you know, events that they would kind of piggyback on. And during that time, like during the end of that NC, I want to say NCFA, uh, but in its, what do they call it, death rows, as it was dying out, MTBA popped up. And it's like a little south of here. It's like a little more San Jose-ish. But it's still good events. It's still field. Uh, I think they do like a, a 900 round. Um, it's, I don't know what the other ones are. I think they do an indoor round. It's all awesome stuff, though. It's definitely stuff that I want to try. And maybe one of these upcoming years, I'll get into it. Until then, I only have enough energy to put in for like a couple big ones, you know, a couple big events. I'll go hard on it, and that's about it. Um, also, that same weekend is the last chance broadhead shoot in Petaluma. Here's one that I actually did sign up for. Um, my dad, I want to take my mom and my dad up to shoot this event. It looks like a lot of fun. I just got a new hunting bow from West Coast, and uh, I would love to really test it out, push it to its limits at this broadhead shoot. And they have a little pack race, which is like, you know, you haul, you know, a little 50-pound weight for three to five miles, and, you know, if you win, you can brag. And I'm, I'm feeling like it, most of you have seen I've lost a little bit of weight, but I've also lost a lot of muscle mass. A lot of people don't know this. Like, when I was fatter, I was really yoked. I was really like a fat, I was a buff dude uh, hidden under a bunch of fat. And now that I've lost a bunch of weight, I'm a skinny guy hidden under a bunch of fat. So I'm hoping this pack race helps get my ass in gear for a little bit of exercise because I really do not exercise and uh, I think my my heart's probably suffering from it <laughs> but anyway let me get into stabilizers so like I said the stabilizer is the man to wave friction reducing vehicle it is your interface to your bow also before I get into this I should just sideline real quick uh I was writing this episode and I had like four pages of notes written. I am very passionate about stabilizers. And right when I was finishing like the fourth or fifth page, my friend said, hey, you should check out this video that Paige Pierce put up on whatever social media, X, Y, and Z social media. And I was like, ah, fine, I will. Uh, I checked it out and it was, not only was it spot on, it was a lot of stuff that I had, I had already just written down. So I'm not going to say I did it first because I didn't. I think she released this video like months ago. But if you check out Paige Pierce's video on how to make your bow aim better, it's going to cover – it's going to have some of the stuff, hopefully not all the stuff that I've been, I'm going to talk about. I'm hoping to go a little more in-depth and get you some of that like nitty-gritty feeling stuff that goes on in my brain. So – that's what I got planned for you. Uh, after I saw that video, I was like, shit, how am I going to make mine better? I was like, I know. I'll get super baked. I'll get super baked and everyone can listen to me like wax on about bars while I'm stoned out of my gourd. Well, I got super baked last night and before I could turn the microphone on, I fell asleep. And I said, I think I'm getting too old to do that. So you guys are getting coffee Wendell right now. <sighs> I'm all sweaty all of a sudden. Anyway, so let's get into it qualities of a target stabilizer uh, and this is not just target stabilizers this is just stabilizing in general i didn't mean i guess i wrote target i didn't mean to but i guess i wrote it because i was feeling like elitist at the time but anyway um 
Oh, I gotta stop saying, um, Jesus. Uh, uh, doesn't count either. Anyway, stiffness is like one of the qualities of a stabilizer. And it used to be, I'm fairly certain, that the stiffer the bar, the better it was. And I believe, my personal opinion after talking with like one other person, is that is because you the direct feedback you get is like instant. You know, the, the nose of that stabilizer, if it wiggles anywhere, you see it automatically in your sight picture. There's no time. There's no like millisecond or microsecond time delay. You're not waiting for things to like settle and adjust. So I believe that is why stiffness is like the shit with stabilizers. And that's why it was highly sought after for a long time. Um, weight is a big deal, like the overall mass weight of the bar. And, you know, I've, I've shot various bars. I used to shoot spider bars which are great bars they're super stiff and they get the job done they kind of remind me of doinkers but after i switch i switched from spider bars to eastern contour bars the eastern contour bars were so light so incredibly light i was able to tack on way more weight onto my bars and it was like the same mass weight or at least what was perceived as the same mass weight held so much better so to me, it was like, okay, these are out, these are in. Eastern Contour CSs. Eastern Contours are stiff because they got a big fat, they're like a fat bar in the back that then tapered down into a skinny bar in the front. Um, because of that skinny bar, it does wiggle. It's not the stiffest of bars. It's kind of like this weird hybrid in between. And I feel like they aim good. And then that skinny part, that wiggliness, when the shot breaks, it dampens the shot so you kind of get like strangely enough the best of both worlds with that eastern contour bar i really like those bars uh i think i still have a set i don't think i've ever sold them um so you know the the lighter your bow is basically if, if i mean we're talking about a couple ounces front and back that's when, when i was like oh a ton of weight what i mean is like possibly four ounces front and back or four on the front and then that's it but basically a lighter overall mass weight will mean that you can tack a little more weight out on the ends if you're not exceeding your own mass weight limit. Um, you know, the more weight you have on your bars, the damper the shots are going to feel too. Like, I don't know if it's because those weights make the bar, like in essence, they kind of make the bar bendier. If you think about it like an arrow, right? And they talk about your arrow spine, when you tack a bunch of weight, when you fill up the point of that arrow, you're breaking the spine of the um, of the arrow. So when you shoot it, it's more flexy, it's more wobbly because force goes in, has to you know, has to dissipate in certain spots. I'm I'm explaining it all wrong, but by a physics standpoint, essentially you're breaking the spine of your bar with the more weight you have on the end, and you know the the forces that are being applied to your stabilizer stabilizer bar are directly up and down it's not forward and back like on an arrow so i feel like you you feel these things a lot more if you don't believe me take all the weight off your stabilizers and go shoot and that bow will crack it'll be like wow wow you know then stack all the weight you have on it and shoot and it'll be damp as hell it'll also be because those weights are resisting that bow's movement uh you know little hands the recoil will be dampened uh, other good qualities are the end cap design. Uh, I've noticed that 
really good bars have really great end cap designs. Spider bars have really solid end caps. Carbon craft bars are extremely good end caps. They're e- What's cool about the carbon craft bar is the face of the end cap is actually made tapered and flat. So it's like it can butt right up against your bushing or your quick disconnect, uh, you know, offset bracket or whatever. And it, it just snugs in there real tight. It's a it's a good design. Um, the Eastern Contour Bars have decent end cap designs. They're kind of like internal looking. The On the skinny end where you plug your weights in, I feel like they could have used a better epoxy or, you know. I, I know someone, uh, probably no one from Easton's listening to this, but I'm sure if someone was, they'd be like, no, we use the best epoxy, actually. But on a hot day, I've gotten my end cap to rotate inside my Easton contour bar. So... How about a little wind tip here? This is a good place to mention. Uh, have you guys ever tried not running a quick disconnect on your front stabilizer bushing? Did you notice that it makes that front bar act way stiffer, like night and day stiffer? Uh, I can't remember why I did this. I think I was kind of wanting like a half inch off of my stabilizer and thought, oh, I'll get rid of my... I usually shoot a 15 degree down bracket. I really like those down brackets. I like the quick disconnects, too, because it makes storing your bar super easy. You just quarter turn, bam, off. But um, to really feel, like, if you want to feel how this bow is behaving, like, one-to-one, super responsive, you know, get a carbon craft bar and plug it directly into your front stabilizer bushing. It is stupid stiff afterwards. And, like, you can really see. I, I bet you... Any good stabilizer plugged directly into your your stabilizer bushing will do it. Um, the only downside is you lose the 15-degree down bracket, so you don't get that, you know, that, what they call the plumb bob effect. I have my own theories as to what it actually is, and I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it here. So what's the purpose of these stabilizers? Aside from being the man-to-wave friction-reducing vehicle, it is ultimately to aim better, correct? Yeah, a little bit. To execute better also. Um, you you put weight on these bars, and hopefully it's enough weight that it settles those extremely small like hand tremors and inconsist- inconsistencies, those hand torques. It's really early in the morning, people. It's like it's like 5 a.m. It's the only time I can get up to do these things now because I got a baby. So anyway, the weight on the end of these bars should settle your little hand tremors and torques. It should absorb them. Well, not even absorb them. It should just resist them. If you have more weight on... Uh, well, what's a good analogy? If you got a, a car, if you have a Toyota Yaris, right? And you're... Say it's after league. Let's just have a hypothetical scenario here, right? It's after indoor league. Your Toyota Yaris is parked out front. And your buddy comes by and he thinks it would be funny to kick the bumper off, Right? As he kicks the bumper off of your car, you notice your whole fucking car shifts and, and moves. It, like, rocks side to side. And you're like, holy crap. He just van damned my car. Cut to if you d- drove a Dodge pickup and your buddy comes out and then breaks his foot on your bumper. And you notice your car doesn't move even a scotch. It's because of that mass weight. The weight on that truck has resisted the force that your homie's little foot destroyed itself on 
So there's a little, you know, a little insight into why that works like that. I'm sure someone out there, maybe like a real coach, a level four coach or someone would be like, no, actually, it has to do with the bone alignment and your blah, 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 blah. Maybe that's a little bit true. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed, but loading up your back bar changes the group of muscles that you are, that that engage during aiming. I've noticed that, you know, the, the spots on my back or my scapula, they ch- like the parts that contract more will change depending on one, where I put my back bar, either top or low bushing, right? Or, you know, at the front, off the front, uh, oh, what am I trying to say? That front stabilizer bushing, but with the offset bracket, you put it there or you put it down low different parts of my back engage it's super weird i don't know if do you guys feel that or am i just a little cuckoo am i really grasping at straws here i feel like this is like one of the final stages you go through analyzing before you quit and then switch to cornhole so uh the other thing is to execute more consistently i've seen people with just a front stabilizer and a little bit of weight like drastically benefit from that additional you know balance being out forward help their uh their execution be much more consistent it can create a consistent follow-through also and i think all those things are i would you know would you agree with me are fairly important to this you know this sport that we're doing um yeah control the blows follow through is what i got listed here also i feel like I'll, i'll revisit this later but i feel like adding you know, a little bit of weight to that sidebar can also help clear up your groups left to right. I bet more, most people would agree with me. And I don't know if it's independent of bubble. I, I kind of feel like it has to do with the amount of torque you're putting into your bow to keep that bubble level. I know some people like their bow to just sit like bubble middle, hand neutral, and it just sits. But I feel like to get that, you would have to run you know, like four ounces really close in line with the riser. You know, whatever your sight is, you'd have to counter it perfectly on the left side and it would have to be bam, 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 like right in line. So I don't believe it's that. I believe it's like the bones in your arm align a certain way that then, you know, as you're pushing into that shot, your hand has a natural kind of rotation and you're kind of countering that rotation with your back bar. Again... I'm sure I'm sure someone out there is going to be like, I'm all, you know, dude, you're all wrong. And I know way more than you. And maybe you do. Uh, but this is just my theories here. You tuned in to hear me wax poetically about this. So I'm giving you the, the nitty gritty. Um, for some reason, I have this little note about like just jammed in here in my notes about the, the dangly doinker bar thing, the dangly doinker damper that, that stack, you you kind of put it between your weights, or maybe you'll put it before your weights. It'll be the thing before, like between bar and weight stack. And smart people, I've seen put it right in the middle. You know, they'll do like a couple ounces on the outside, on the outside of that, because you need some kind of weight to to jiggle around. Um, and what I'm about to say is, I don't know if it's going to make anyone mad, but if you put it in between your weight stack and your bar. So it goes stabilizer, doinker thing, and then weight stack. 
That is freaking dumb, especially if you have a really high-end stiff bar because you've basically turned that stiff bar into a dangly loose rubber thing. And I would guess that you would feel that when you aim because you're going to have like a dangly stack of weights on the end. You no longer have that one-to-one direct feedback thing. Now, with that being said, the Korean men's compound team has good shooters that legitimately have a doinker like stabilizer or, you know, pick your high-end high-end stabilizer. And they don't shoot carbon crafts, which maybe, I don't know, could help them. Uh but they have a stabilizer, the doinker, and then they'll have like a stack of weights that's just hanging off the end. I don't know if they're still doing this, but the last time I, I watched World Archer, I saw that, and I was like, "Pooh, that is dumb. Now, you guys know, the Korean shooters are really good. Could they beat me in a, in a feed of match, compound feed of match? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Who knows? It'll probably never happen, so we really can't tell. We're just speculating up until this point. Can Jim... Kim Jong-ho beat me? Maybe, you know, maybe not. You know, he could come over here and challenge me. Until I go to Korea, which, you know, last time I was in Korea, I tried to get to their archery center, but they told me it was like an hour and a half away and like close to the North Korean DMZ. And I was like, that's a good excuse. Um, So anyway, if you're going to run one of these little uh, damper things, I would run it after most of your weights and then have your last like one or two or three ounces tacked on the end i know there's a new one that austin watts uses which is like an aluminum it's got like an aluminum case with a damper built inside i don't know how it works it looks cool i heard they're really expensive so i'm not going to be testing one out until someone just mails one to me so if anyone out there wants me to test it out hit me up on facebook and i'll give you my my, well, he's my buddy's mailing address, so you can send it to him, and then I'll check it out. Uh, next little ranting note is fee bars, and why don't I believe in them? So, again, before I start shitting on something, I should tell you that there are good shooters out there that use V-bars. Um, Bet Crevea uses V-bars, and she is damn near at the top of her class at every event. Um, Mark O'Mel uses V-bars. And he can arguably shoot much better than I can. Uh, Tim Gillingham shoots V-bars. And Tim Gillingham shoots V-bars. So that's it. That's all I have to say about that. The reason why I don't use V-bars is because I believe you are adding additional weight to your butt. Like unnecessary additional weight. I feel like if your bubble, if you're losing your bubble out to the side that that V-bar is pulling, then you have your stabilizer on the wrong side. Or you're putting, you're like, you're obviously putting in some kind of weird hand torque as you're executing. Not that's bad. I do that too. I put hand torque in too. Only I do it, the hand torque I'm putting in is clockwise. As a right-handed shooter, I have clockwise torque going in as I'm executing. And it's important for me to know that so that when I'm executing, I can kind of, you know, consciously let off that torque a little bit, keep that bubble, be mindful of that bubble, you know? Um, so, you know, not to, I started looking at my notes and now I got to pull it all off. But anyway, basically you got 
I, I don't understand with V-bar shooters why you can't get it done with just the left bar. Like, are you rotating the other way? Then maybe you have too much on that left bar. And I would think that that weight that comes with the bar... This is for a right-handed shooter, mind you. I would think that additional weight on the right side could be used better between your front and back bar. If you can handle that mass weight, why don't you utilize it and turn it into front bar, side bar goodness? You know, are you, are you rotating counterclockwise? Well, maybe that back bar has to come in a little bit more. Or maybe you gotta switch it and just run one bar reversed. I know Chris B, back in his day, like early Hoyt days, Chris B, when he was battling Rio Wild and stuff, he would have a, a back bar on the inside. It was like reversed. And it was very interesting. It seemed to work for him. Remember, people, this sport is about finding what works for you, at least in freestyle. In free, well, I guess, I guess you got to find out what works for you, even in barebow. So I think I've said before, I believe more weight on bar ends is a better tuned bow. And I think it is because it goes back to that Dodge pickup Toyota Yaris thing. When you shoot a bow, there's recoil. For the lack of a better term, there's recoil. And I think the more weight you have on those bars, the less that recoil comes into play uh, affecting your, I want to call this point your arrow rest, you know, where your arrow rest like tip is right there. I feel like movement in that area is, I mean, ultimately, it's that all movement is going to throw your arrow off what you're looking at. So I feel like the more weight you have, the more force it takes to move that point of aim, we'll call it. And that is, that is physics. I'm no, f- what do they call it? Physician? <laughs> I'm no physics major. Uh, what, is, what do they call those people? Anyway, but it takes more force to move something that has more weight. So a better tuned bow not necessarily better tuned, but in the hands of a human, a bow with more weight can absorb or resist more bullshit. Basically, if you're introducing, if you're piping bullshit into the system, if it's little bits of bullshit, it'll bounce that little bullshit off. You know, if it's a lot of bullshit, well, hopefully it's less than the mass weight of that that system. Does that make sense? Is this is this uh? you know, helping people. The The analogy I have written down wasn't the Dodge uh, pickup truck. It was a, a boat analogy where it was like, if you throw a football at somebody in a canoe and they catch it square in their sternum, you could probably murder that person in the, if they're in the water. Like, it, they'll flip over and drown. But if I am on the, what do they call it, the USS Nimitz, and I'm just sitting on the side and you throw a football at me and hit me square, you could hit me square in the head. And as long as you don't hit me in the back of the head, I'm not going in the water. I'm, that boat's not even feeling it. And that's mass weight resisting outside influence. So ultimately, your weights are going to need to be tailored to your shooting style. And what I mean by this is when I shot, like a good example, I should say, is when I shot some of my best scores, I was shooting a lot of weight, like maybe 21 ounces on the front and 20 to 22 on the back. And my style at the time was very aggressive. What I would call aggressive. 
And it wasn't like, you know, people are like, oh, I pull hard into the stops. I feel like Rio Wild said that in like 1996, and now everyone is like, I pull hard in the stops. Okay. I don't pull hard in the stops. I pull into the back wall consistently, but I push hard into the bow hand. My driving hand is very hard. So is that pulling hard in the stops? Is it pushing hard into the stops? I don't know. Basically, if you say you pull hard in the stops, I better see serving separation. Or in my mind, the only thing I'm going to be thinking about is how lethal of a kick could I throw and how high could I get my leg? I mean, I won't say it. I will never do it because I'm very nonviolent. I'm not like other podcast hosts. But, uh, you know, that's, that's what I'm thinking. You know, everyone should be pulling hard in the stops. Or if everyone's pulling hard in the stops, is it really hard anymore? I don't know. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. So I shot a lot of weight on this bow when I was shooting good. The, the 40 ounce, how much is 40 ounces? Like three pounds? The, the reason why I shot so much weight up front is because it allowed me to be as aggressive as I wanted in my driving arm, in my bow arm. And it, I didn't have to carefully regulate how much forward drive I was doing I could just give it a push you know and push that shot off like basically me pushing on my driving arm would get my release to rotate and bam that shot would go so I just had to put apply you know some percentage of back pressure into the wall so that I didn't creep and then bam push that shot off and it's you know I didn't have a shot process at the time I was very much like Get your pin in the middle and rip it. And it worked. It worked really good for me. But the problem with my style doing that is you have to shoot all the time. You have to be conditioned to do that. And it's still, you still have to be decent at aiming. You know, this is not like the bow just sits there. I think 40, uh, 40 ounces for anybody, you know, some people, that's not their maximum. And to be fair, that was my max. If you tacked one more ounce on anywhere, front or back, I would be dipping out the bottom like crazy. It was like, that was my, I was redlining with that. But it allowed me to really just give it that forward forward push. Nowadays, I'm working out a new thing that I'll tell you guys about. I post it on Facebook. I call it the page from the book of Wilkie. And really... This is just my observations on Kevin Wilkie and how he shoots. It's something that I find, like, you know, I fanboy about pros. And Wilkie, his style is just really cool. And he shoots a very small amount of weight. And I think when you see guys shooting a small amount of weight, it means their draw length is dialed in, their bow is tuned, and they are dialed in. They are focused. They have a process that they can lean on for all different types of shots. That feeling you get when you approach a target and you're like, whoa, that's way out there, you know? My percentage, my success percentage is low on this distance or whatever. I don't know what you say to yourself. I know I sound like an IBM robot from the 90s. But uh, those guys, when they approach these targets, they go, all right, time to lean on this shot process. I know I can get this because I do X, Y, and Z. And so that's what I'm practicing nowadays. And I'll go into that more right at the very end. So you're probably ask, wondering, you know, where do I start when I, like, you just blah, blah, blah for, what has it been, 35 minutes now about stabilizers, and I know nothing. I'm closer. I'm not even remotely closer. Well, okay. 
first thing is your timing, right? Uh, if you have time, like, so here's one thing. In Paige's video, she said, run your timing top cam first, run your timing bottom cam first, and then run it even and see which one holds better. I'm going to say no. I don't know any bow that you can run bottom cam first and it will hold better. Uh, as far as I know, bottom cam first makes all bows hold like dog shit. So I know some bows top cam first is like, ooh, it feels so good. I feel like it's a mental thing. I have always run all of my bows, Hoyt's included, uh, even cam timing. I think they are designed to be run even. This whole like top cam first thing, I I feel, well, I won't get into why, but I feel like that's that's just a cop-out. It's a cop-out thing. Run them even, all right? Unless you shoot better than me and then you shoot top cam first, then, hey, you know, you got me. Um, run your arrow rest through the middle of the burger hole because if you run it over or under, admittedly, I'm running mine under, but for you guys, if you're just... If you're just wanting to explore this and you want to explore it from a purely pure point, run it middle. Because if you run it under or you run it over and then you sink your cams to that, you're sinking to like a little bit. Like ultimately what you're doing is top cam first or bottom cam first just a little bit. Your, your stops are hitting and, you know, everything's going through the middle. But you want that really flat knock travel. And if you go low in the, the burger hole, your arrow will, will kind of be kind of upward at the end i don't know it's it's just you're introducing weird stuff right now i'm trying the old henry bass trick where i'm running my bow or my burger hole my arrow is going through the like low in the burger hole and i remember henry told me it was because your arrows are less affected by your hand inconsistencies your arrow like your bubble because you if you look at like the bubble like as the big V, right? Or it's, you're closer to the point of rotation. That's what it is. If you're closer to the point of rotation, the degrees off you are, are less. Is it bullshit? Well, Henry's a really good shooter. So maybe, maybe. I'm not, I'm not shooting lights out with this setup, but I like the concept. The downside is I got to run all my arrow rests like bottomed out and they look weird. So, um, let's see. Draw length. Paige covered this. This is real. She didn't cover it like how I'm going to cover it, though. So, one cool thing, if you guys listen to the Rudecast podcast with Austin Watts, he mentioned uh, he adjusts his draw length via his cables, right, until he gets his bow holding really, really good. And I have yet to do that with my bow because I, I kind of feel like I want to put a lot of shots in before I figure out what direction I want to go. But when I shot a lot of weight, I ran my bow shorter, probably by like an eighth of an inch or a quarter inch. And that shorter draw length, it made me feel like I could break shots stronger. If you think of like the incredible or not the Incredible Hulk, Hulk Hogan ripping his shirt off, right? Whether or not he grabs in the middle of his shirt or he grabs like the armpits and rips it. If you, I, I liken the, the longer draw length to grabbing the armpits of your shirt and ripping it off. Whereas when your bow is just a little under, you're grabbing like the center of your shirt and then ripping your shirt off. And so 
I like to run it a little bit, like just a little under so that I could stack more weight on there and then get more aggressive. Right now, I feel like I'm right in the middle. I'm right at like where my draw length is like naturally right in the middle. So I'm trying out the, what I call the Wilkie method. Um, I feel like a longer, if you run it on that longer side, you, you're going to be using less weight. So when Paige says adjust your, your draw length, Maybe that's for someone who already has their weights dialed in and they're trying to get that little extra, that little extra something, you know, to make it a little better. Just my theory. I think Paige shoots better than me now. I used to say, like, I'm the shit because I shoot the same scores as Paige, blah, blah, blah. I'm pretty sure I don't anymore. <laughs> so, uh, what else? Front bar lengths. Um, as far as trying to determine what front bar length is good for you, I think most will do good. And you're going to find that different people shoot different lengths all over the place. Dan McCarthy shoots a shorter front bar, at least did at one point, shoot a shorter front bar than others. Um, I find what works really good is just finding someone that looks like you, like build-wise, and then just saying, hey, what bars do you like? But don't go off one person. Ask a handful of people. Average their numbers out. And then think, you know, think about yourself. You could also call stabilizer manufacturers and say, what size do you think for someone like me? Now, that's the front bar. That's pretty basic, okay? I have a 30-inch front bar. I think that's pretty normal, like on par pretty normal. Uh, I think Chris Perkins runs a 30-inch front bar. Uh, Now, what about your back bar length? Well, back bar, you want it. In my mind, you want it as long as possible without your weight stack touching your body. If your weight stack touches your body, you're disqualified. I think they consider it cheating because you could just like lean. You could go like 20-inch bar, lean your bow right on your hip, and then just, you know, it's like having a tripod. Um, So take this into account. When you're shooting steep and up and downhill, like look at your stable, whatever stabilizer you have now, if you have one. Or you could have your buddy, if you don't have a bar, you could aim downhill and have your buddy run up and measure. Like, I don't know how safe that is, but, you know, it'll get you there. But don't make, it, make sure it's not too long. Some people run their back bar angled out so much that it would never hit their body anyway. Again, that could be an argument for V-bar people because that the V-bars are kind of spread enough to where you could aim straight down or straight up and no bar ever touches you. But uh, you know how I feel about V-bars. Anyway, where do I start? You're probably saying, all right, we get it. Get to the get to the meat and potatoes of this. I'm tired of all this celery. Well, start what I like to do is start with five ounces in the front or ten ounces in the front and ten ounces in the back. It's a good starting point. And you can just see where do I need to go from there. Um, a couple rules that I go by is you know, you take a handful of shots. We'll say shoot ten shots, you know, or any arbitrary. Just pick a number, I don't care. Are you dipping out the bottom consistently? Well, in my mind, to me, if it were me, if I was dipping out the bottom, these alarms would be going off in my head. And it would say, these alarms would say, you are either throwing too much mass weight, you got too much mass weight going out there, or on your bow, or you have too much front weight on your front stabilizer, and it's pulling you down, kind of at that last minute. So that's if you're dipping out the bottom. So if you go, you say 10 shots, and six of them dip out the bottom, my my alarms are going to be going off like nuts. You got to lose weight somewhere. Lose it off the back bar first is my, my usual first 
instinct is take one off the back is it better or worse or the same if it's the same put it back on take one off the front and try to do it scientifically all right and and like the scientific method is like you have a control and then you do one thing and then you test that one thing don't take three ounces off the front and back and then be like ooh, now it's too light but i don't know where i came from you know i don't know off the front or off the back you know one thing at a time all right so are you going out the top so what if you you do the 10 and 10 or 5 and 5 and you start shooting at the top well that's a, to me if you're missing out the top that's the best that's a good thing because then it means ooh, this setup's a little light you know i'm feeling a little uh, you know a little uh horsepower here so if you're going out the top my first instinct is add an ounce to the front if you're especially for indoor you should not be missing out the top you should be missing nowhere. <laughs> so add an ounce to the front. See if it brings it down a little. Uh, alternatively, you could kick an ounce off the back and see if that lowers it. But if you're going out the top, most likely you haven't hit your mass weight peak yet. Um, and this is just so you guys know, these are my personal, these are the things that I do when I'm trying to fiddle with with stabilizers and I, I fiddle with stabilizers a lot like i said before to me it's the most important part of the interface between you and your bow aside from draw length and you know timing and blah 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 so are you having trouble keeping your bubble in the middle because here's another one that's important if it if you're having trouble keeping that bubble level it could be back bar angle like in and out it could be you don't have enough weight on your back bar it could be you have too much weight on your back bar so that one I don't have an exact rule for other than, you know, is your bubble going out to the right when you shoot? If it's going out to the right, what does that mean? It means your bow's canting counterclockwise, which means too much weight. Too much weight or the bar angle's too far out. And you should, like, aside from the bubble, you should feel it. You should feel that bow pulling you counterclockwise. Is it going to the left? You know, if... If it's going to the left, you can kick that bar out a little more. Um, or, you know, add an ounce. So, a lot of people, like, okay, so I'm telling you how to do this. Why? Well, the first reason why is because you want to steady your pin float. And people are going to ask me, what kind of pin float do you have? I've heard some people watch me shoot and they're like, you aim really good. And maybe they think I hold steady. But through my scope... They, like they don't I've heard other people say this too. You don't see what I see. I see movement. I, I definitely my pin does not sit and just says, There you go, Wendell. I'm I'm chilling on the X. You take all day. I'll be right here. You just break that shot when you feel good. No. My pin's usually dancing around. It's going, now I'm over here. Now I'm over here. Now up up, up down there. And but it's usually pretty predictable and controlled. I think what you want is a predictable pin float. That is somewhat manageable. And on a on a 20-yard Vegas target, my pin pretty much floats inside the 10 ring. 10 ring is pretty much where I'm going for. Um, now, that's you know left to right of 10 ring. It's up and down on the 10 ring. It's all over the place, but it's in the 10 ring. And so that kind of puts my mind at ease and just lets me concentrate on, mm, you know, breaking a shot. That's what I'm going for. And if for field... Most of the time, the way my bars are set up, I, I can hold inside a dot 
at most any distance with the exception of like 80 or 100, which is probably why those distances wig me out a little bit because I spend a little more out t- more time outside the spot than I'd like to, which is any. If I spend any time outside the spot, it wigs me out. So that's, you know, to each their own, whatever works for you guys, you know, find, find it. Find out what you're comfortable with. But um, a big thing is with these weights, you're looking for pin float, but you're also looking for a float that stays the same during execution. Now, this could be bar weight. It could also be your execution. Are you executing like you have rabies? Because if you do, you got to slow it down. you got to figure out what am I doing wrong? Or not what am I doing wrong, but why am I so tense? You know, you want to execute smooth and slow. I used to call it the gradual mantra. When I shot a lot, I was, you know, if you just say to yourself, gradual, you know, you could put that grad, you wouldn't like overpower shots. You wouldn't shoot things out the bottom or force, force arrows out. You could just gradual break it off. You know, um, Sandy McCain, she's a bare bow shooter, once told me, don't make the shots happen. Let the shots happen. And that really was awesome advice. It really helped me out. So that's what I believe as far as, you know, maybe you have a mantra that's similar. Maybe it's, you know, pucker and squeeze, you know? <laughs> so anyway, we talked about back bar angle going in and out. Uh, what about up and down? I normally start my back bar angle on the horizontal plane. Um, and that, you know, that's including my front bar too. The, you get the most leverage on the horizontal plane. And I've heard, I can't remember if it was on Archery Talk. And, you know, if you go to Archery Talk for your, your archery news, you're really rolling the dice. But I used to because I was bored at work. Um, but basically, anytime you reduce or you change the angle on your stabilizer, front bar or back bar, you change the leverage. If it's away from, like, perfectly out to the sides, you are changing the leverage from maximum and they didn't say what you what was happening. They're just like you're just not getting the same amount of leverage. Okay. Well, in my humble opinion, I believe that you're what you're actually doing is trading a little bit of leverage for mass weight. Now the mass weight stays the same, but how much is perceived, right? Uh, I think you or you're reducing a little bit of leverage, and you're saying, you know what, I don't need that much leverage, but I'm going to use that weight for mass weight to help you know dampen everything to help resist a lot of stuff and also one thing you're doing with that back bar going up and down is you're changing your grip pressure because even though your bow's gonna sit a certain way in your hand those that front and back bar leverage is going to change the angle that it or the force is being applied to your riser and if there's force being applied to your riser you're going to feel it in your hand so i believe that that back bar angle is also crucial in finding that good Good grip pressure. And I do believe grip pressure is very crucial in this game, especially with your setup. So let's say you got your weights close to where you want. You're only getting 2 out of 10. Like if you're only 2 out of 10 shots are dipping or going out the top, we'll just say dipping. If you're going out the top, I bet you could put like a half ounce on the front or kick one ounce off the back. Um, but if you're just going – say you're, you're dipping a little bit, adjusting that back bar angle – can bring your pin float 
I mean, I should say adjusting the back bar up and down can change your pin float. So instead of instead of dipping X to six, X to six, you're now going 12 to six, 12 to six, or even better, tall X to low X. Um, but that's where adjusting that back bar angle comes in. You start finding that, you know, maybe lowering it, you reduce that leverage, you exchange it for a little bit of just pure mass, you can slow that pin float down. But remember, the more mass you have, perceived mass that you have, the more you have a likelihood to dip out the bottom. So I think the thing with stabilizers and the reason why there's so many like varying theories on stabilizers is the whole chain, uh, the whole chain for these stabilizers, it's like if you tweak one thing on the very end link, it can affect the link on the very front, which is why there's so many different theories. No one has really gone through and done a, you know, everyone will just throw a ratio at at you. They'll be like, weight on the front does this, weight on the back does that, you know? They don't, they don't tell you much else. But it's not true. These, the front and back, they work together, you know? It, it's like a concert. It's like a dance that they're doing to, together. So keep in mind, every time you, that's why I'm very much about, like, just do one thing at a time. Change, go one ounce at a time because you can get in the weeds really quick with stabilizer weights. So I know we're getting long here. We're about 53 minutes, and I don't want to do two episodes, so I'm going to try to hurry it up. Uh, I don't think I ever said earlier on, but if you want to, like, reduce your, your pin float, like, left and right, generally it's weight on the front. I think everyone knows that already, so I didn't I dive right into that. I'm more about, you know, the balance between the front and back. I've said it a million times before, the one to three ratio, one to four ratio is all bullshit. Uh, any ratio is bullshit. Like I would never call someone and say, what ratio are you running? And then just copy it directly because everyone's different. Um, <laughs> with that being said, I fully straight up copied Wilkie's <laughs> Reading Bow. <laughs> I'm such a hypocrite. So check this out. Real quick, I'll give you guys the rundown. I, I said on social media I was trying uh, something out of the, the book Wilkie. Basically, it was, it was a Hamskia thing. Wilkie runs a Hamskia a certain way. And I set my Hamskia up like his. I have not had good results with Hamskias in the past, so I was just run a blade. Running his setup seems to be working really good right now. But the other thing I did was I wanted to teach myself to shoot with a shot process. So I feel like he doesn't do a ton of weight. Oh, I know he doesn't. I think he started with, I think he has got like five on the front and 10 on the back of his Hoyt. Uh, I started with five and 10 and shot and instantly felt that I was going out the top. It was like a combination. My vertical pin float was like just a little too much. So I kicked two ounces off the back and I got a better grip pressure that I felt was really good. I would, it, I started hitting middles like really good. Uh, felt very controllable. Uh, I was missing a little bit out 11 and two o'clock and that's that's with the five and the 10. I was missing 11 and two. So that's when I kicked the two ounce. I kicked one ounce off the back. It was a little better. Kicked one more. And then I was in business. Um, let's see here. Taking two off the back gave me just enough forward leverage, like forward balance. Brought the high misses down and added enough heel to my grip to increase the pressure to allow my, my, my bow arm drive to be smooth and consistent. And that really cleaned a lot of stuff up. Now, this is 
this is less weight than I ran. I think I ran like 15 and 11 in Reading. So this is a huge difference from where I was even like a week ago. Um, I, I, I shot a 300, and then right afterwards I shot a 298. And I missed, I think I missed out the bottom. And if it's out the bottom with a light bow, it's it's me. It's on me. It means I need to practice. Um, I also thought, well, maybe I, you know, one out the bottom is too much mass weight still. So I kicked one off the back. And the misses got worse. It became side-to-side misses. So that one ounce went back on in the rear, and it got better. You know, that that left to right cleared up right away. I tried one ounce off the front, and my bow became a little harder to control and aim. Uh, I started seeing, like, a bigger side-to-side group open up. So I I put it back on, you know, put that ounce back on, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to work this this out on my own. I'm going to practice more and see if this clears up. And if it doesn't, maybe I will approach adjusting my draw length a little, forward or back. But until then, it's just the occasional miss out the bottom. It tells me that I could probably work that out with just practice, just getting used to it and working a shot process. And so when I say, you know, I'm following the book of Wilkie, he straight up posted on his Instagram, Instagram what his shot process was. It was step one, visualize. Step two, think, breathe. Step three, think, anchor. Step four, think, execute. And step five, analyze what happened. What did you do and how did that react? That is the Wilkie process and that's what I'm working on. I've never had a shot process before, but I feel like it's something that is very valuable and it's something that you could lean on. Um, One thing I didn't mention in all of this is... That lighter weight, what I like about the Wilkie method is the, the, oops, dropping arrows, the lighter mass weight, I feel like I can break shots easier. And I think when you have a lighter mass weight, pushing that bow forward, it is a lighter bow. And so you have to push less weight. In physics, I think you guys remember, uh, with everything, with every action, there's a reaction. So if you're pushing a pound, you have to push harder than if you were pushing an ounce to move it so these lighter bows i feel like your shots break easier heavier bows they get your shots going to break a little harder you might have to run your release a little hotter to accommodate so hopefully i mean that's a full hour of me talking about bars you know maybe it's actually like 50 minutes because i talked about uh chris garcia and some uh, you know some other stuff upcoming events hopefully this was really helpful i hope you guys enjoyed it uh a big thank you to my sponsors, uh, DB Customs, that do Cerakoting. They will, you know, if you have an old bow and you want it to look like, uh, say you got this year's Target bow and you don't want to go out and buy another one because you just don't have the money, but you want it to look cool for next season, check out DB Customs on Instagram. You can send them a message. They're at just about every local shoot. You can find them and you can be like, hey, uh, I want... I know Darren doesn't like doing super, or it's not that he doesn't like it. It's a lot of work for him to do multi, multi-pattern multi stuff. But hit Darren up and be like, you know what, Darren? I want a Cryptek camo, you know, Raiders-themed bow. Hook it up, you know. Take my money and make my bow look like one of a kind. <laughs> Darren will do it. He's a, he's a master at this stuff. I'm still trying to decide what I'm going to do for my, my uh, 38 G2, but I got some stuff in mind. And then a big thank you to Carbon Craft Stabilizers. They uh, I, I hooked me up with my bars. I've done deflection tests. They are the stiffest to weight bar. That It's like the perfect middle ground. You get a stiff bar. It's not overly heavy. 
The end caps are designed great. The carbon is off the hook. I'm pretty sure Adam's sourcing his carbon from Japan. And everyone knows everything from Japan is the shit. It's the absolute shit. So uh, check them out. You know, I think you can buy them at West Coast Archery or Impact Archery in Fresno. So uh, anyway, thanks for listening, guys. I'm going to end this right in an hour. Uh, take care, all.